This podcast replay is brought to you by Caneswear.com. For all your Canes, Dolphins, and Heat needs, visit them at 2511 South University Drive in Davie. Free shipping with online orders over $99. Go to Caneswear.com at Miami Fanware. That's the spot where South Florida fans shop. Right, there he is, the man, the myth, the legend. Let me put on my headsets to make sure I hear him. How you feeling, my man? You feeling good? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Now, now I got you. Now I got you. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing great, man. Uh, down here in Coral Gables for uh, practice number two. Uh, was in Orlando over the weekend for the Under Armour uh, Combine where they had a bunch of the 2024 kids from all over the state. And uh, just been busy, man, turning out a lot of uh, content. No, I know. And uh, I've read, uh, obviously, some of that content at The Athletic, which you all should subscribe to uh, support Manny and keep up with what's going on with uh, with the Canes uh, overall, uh, Manny. Uh, when we uh, when we when we see the headline that says "Beefy Lineman," <laughs> yes, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a different different look for a lot of the offensive and defensive linemen out here. Uh, you can see where Mario's gone out, and uh, you know it's kind of like the Bill Parcells thing, right, with the Dolphins when he went out there and all of a sudden started get get getting. You know, measure, measurements played a big role in who he recruited. I think it's the same thing going on here. You know, you have the two uh, five-star offensive tackles from the last recruiting class, Samson Okunlola, Francis Mangoa. Uh, they're, they're with the second team right now, but you watch those guys. They're both 6'6". They're both well over 300 pounds, and they look like monsters. You add in a, a Javian Cohen, who's another huge offensive lineman from Alabama, you get the Matt Lee kid, who's a 6'4", 295-pound center from UCF. And all of a sudden, you look like you uh, belong in college football up front. No, I know. And that's, to me, that that also, I, I would imagine, here's where we're going to start seeing some progress. And, you know, the battle for all these positions. Uh, how much of a chance do these young guys have a chance to, you know, crack the lineup? Yeah, man, I, I would say they have a great chance. You know, Zion Nelson is out this spring. There's a lot of guys out this spring that are that are still recovering from surgery or uh, procedures that were done during the season. And so, the, you know, Mario's allowing a lot of these young guys to come in and, and get a lot of reps, uh, both on the offensive and defensive line. So, uh, you know, I, I think I think there's a very good chance that come this fall, they'll be right there with some of the older players to win jobs. I got to tell you something. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but um, it seems to me like, you know, Mario, and he's a smart dude, uh, but he is kind of stubborn in his ways. But the way he was talking, now you got to show it to me and I got to believe it, right? Yeah. But Mario's been kind of conservative in the way he coaches even offensively in football. But the way he was describing his offensive coordinator the other day and kind of talking about how uh, it, it's going to be, you know, a, a mix of of an aggressive defense and things that you have to. He was kind of again, I'm paraphrasing, but he was kind of saying things that you have to do in today's football where you have to have explosiveness. But at the same time, you know, he he also said, hey, we're, we're going to be able to be balanced and and run the ball. But. If we have to, you know, again, paraphrasing, if we have to go 70-30 passing, then we'll do what we have to do in order to do that. And and on the moments that we can be balanced, we're going to be balanced. And so 
I don't know if it's a change of philosophy. I don't know. I don't even know if that's fair to call that. You know, maybe he would take that as an insult. But it, it was almost like he was addressing that that conservative nature and saying, yeah, we're we're going to be a little different and we're going to be a little bit more aggressive than what you think. I don't know. You, you tell me you're around it more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think without question, I think, you know, when he came in here year one, he went out and he hired the guys, I think, that would run the kind of system when he's got all of his players here, right? Like, that's the kind of style. When he's got the 6'6", 330-pound offensive lineman across the board and the All-American defensive tackles and the All-American defensive ends, that Alabama, you know, power running game, Oregon running game type offense – um, I think in a perfect world, that's who Mario is at his heart, right? That's who he is as a lineman. But I, I use the word acquiesce. I think he came in here, he had a vision for what he wanted, and then he realized, I don't have the personnel, I don't have the players, I can't just force, uh, you know, uh, something uh, upon this group of players that they can't give me. So there's an adjustment, and, you know, right now the strength of his team really is his quarterback. It's Tyler Van Dyke. It's the offensive line. Uh, it's it's a, a couple of those big receivers, Colby Young, um, you know, some of the guys, that, the young guys that they've recently added to this roster. So you got to run the kind of system that is going to win you ball games. And I think last year he came in here saying, no, we're going to run the football. It's just going to be a mindset. And then he realized, man, I don't I don't know. I don't only not have the offensive lineman. I don't even have the backs that I need to play this kind of style. And it was sort of a tough learning lesson in year one for him. Well, I, I at least to me, it sounded like he, you know, and, and I think it's really important. You know, it's it's like I'm watching the heat. I know last night they finally started hitting threes, but it's like, dude, you guys built a team that was that's completely out of date. Yeah. Like, what the hell is going on in the NBA nowadays? And, 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 and how do you expect to win that you're a two point team in a three point world? And and to me, today in college football, uh, what I saw from them a couple of years ago, that's more like what you need. What I saw last year, brother, that that's not going to get you anywhere. You can't score. And and, and it, it just sounded to me like a guy that realized I, I've got to be a little bit more, you know, aggressive in my in my nature on offense. And And by the way, I think it's also going to help you lure more high-level talent because receivers aren't going to want to come to an offense that's just running the ball and not throwing, you know, nearly a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately what he's saying is we're going to do whatever it takes to win, right? And if and if throwing the football is the best way to do it, uh, that's what he's going to do. And, and, you know, I think at his heart, he's going to want to run the football and be more balanced. But uh, game to game to game, you know, they're going to have to make adjustments based on what they're facing and what they're doing. And, uh, you know, look, <laughs> it is what it is. You know, this this place used to be great and it's not great anymore. It's far from it. And there's yeah. a lot of work to be done to get there. And I, I just think, you know, instead of being maybe rigid in his ways like he was in year one, he's willing to adapt in year two and make the necessary changes, which is a welcome sight. We've had a lot of Miami coaches that don't do that. They've come in here and they're uh, they stick with the same defensive coordinator for five years or they stick with the same same uh, mindset, and uh, you you can't you can't do that here. You got to adjust uh, when when you're a mediocre football program. Yeah, no, and that's exactly what they've been—an uh, incredibly mediocre and embarrassing football program. Hopefully, they. I I think I think Crystal Ball will figure it out. I, I really do. I I think he's 
He's just got to learn and uh, and get everything, uh, you know, in place. And hopefully we'll see them take some steps forward uh, this year. Uh, one of your articles in The Athletic, you talked about international players. Yeah. And, and, and you know, this year the Miami Dolphins had a young man from I, – I, Kohu is, I think, from um, somewhere in Africa. I want to say Nigeria maybe or I, I forgot exactly which is the country he's from. Um. And so Cater, you know, we're, we're watching, you know, international players make the transition. One of the things I've talked about with the NFL that I think their next, you know, frontier I've said is you got to put a European division, not an expansion of one or two teams. You got to put four teams out there, one in London, one in Paris, one in Berlin, one in Barcelona, and then have like an international a facility where the visiting teams from America can go there and a visiting facility and hotel, and they can stay there for a couple of weeks and play a couple of teams. And the same thing here, build an international facility here. So that when the international teams come here, they stay for a couple of weeks in a centralized place that they can fly to, you know, different locations and play a couple of games and then, you know, fly back. And why do I say that? Because the next frontier is what basketball and soccer have done. Soccer has been, yeah. you know, pulling from the world talent for for a hundred years. Basketball now, obviously, the last 30, 40 years, we're watching the international talent crossover and international leagues grow and all that kind of stuff. And so now the NBA has an international, you know, system, and so does baseball from the Caribbean and, and, and uh, you know, South America, Central America, where they have, you know, a couple of uh, countries that play baseball and they're feeding, you know. So for me, that's the next frontier that the rest of the world picks up American football and it starts to go to the next level. How much do you see that growing right now at, at the college level? I think a hundred percent, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's definitely growing. I mean, especially, I mean, you, you, you've had the Australian punter thing for a while now, right. uh, really fed into the NFL and the college systems. I mean, it, it feels like every major power five team has an Australian punter these days, the way that's worked out. And obviously Miami had Lou Headley. Now they've got Dylan Joyce. So it's kind of like a, it's, it's continuing now in the state uh, into phase two here in 2023, but you know, when I when I was in Orlando for this, by the summer, way, just to, just to add a, a little a little historical uh, historical nugget, I think mm -hmm. I think his name was like Goble or something like that, the Giants kicker. Yeah, back in the '60s. Yeah, right. They they went to a soccer player because all the kickers were kicking straight. Oh yeah, and they went and found a soccer player that started doing it from the side. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, he's the guy that started all of that. A soccer player is the one that changed the way American kickers approached the field goal. You know what I mean? So yeah. it shows you that that you know that that influence can help you out in so many different ways. But go ahead. No, what I what I was going to say now is it's sort of expanding even more into rugby, uh, in the rugby players. You know, Francis Maui Go. I was just listening to an interview I did with him back in December. Um, and you know, he talked about playing rugby over in American Samoa. That's what he, that's what he grew up playing up until about, he was 12 years old when he made the switch to football. Um, you know, the, the uh, MVP of this Orlando all American combine that, that got an invite to play in the game. He's from Mozambique. Uh, he's a, he's a six, four, 280 pound center 
who has tremendous feet because he grew up playing rugby. He, he just started playing football at age 14, and uh, he's from Mozambique. Uh, I mean, I, I, there were kids there from Germany. There's another offensive lineman from Germany who's been here for two years. He's living in Georgia. One of the top defensive linemen, one of the kids that, that won MVPs, French-Canadian kid out of Montreal. So, uh, you know, it, it's definitely diversifying. And I think, um, you know, you, you have to sort of it's, – it's a global game now for football. It's really turning into that. And I think in the next five to ten years, you're going to see it expand even more because these places are getting better at what they do in terms of development. Yeah, no, I'm, I, and I think that that is going to open it up now for football, you know, is 10, 20 years down the line. Right. Uh, it's going to take a while for, for this to happen because obviously it takes a while for young people to start to really appreciate the game. And I think the more American football is played overseas, mm-hmm. you know, the NFL games, I think the more we do that, obviously that will, that will continue to influence and, 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 and help the game grow, you know, overseas. And then that will allow colleges and the NFL to have a bigger pool of talent to to actually go and get, you know what I'm saying? So I think that that's yep. that's you know, but that's again, it's down the line. But that's where their next revenue stream is really going to come from, at least on the pro side, uh, is is uh, going overseas. Uh, just out of curiosity, bro, uh, your your thoughts on Jim Laranega? Because uh, that man is just absolutely yeah. amazing. Amazing job by really him and I think his, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of coaching turnover. People forget in the last couple of years he's had assistant coaches leave him. And I think the real uh, way that you judge how great a head coach is is how many of his guys go on to other places and do great things. And then how quickly can he replace them and keep winning? And I think this is proof in the pudding that you have the right head coach. doesn't matter who his assistants are. He can rotate those guys in and out and keep winning. And it's really, it's really more of a testament to him. Uh, and I think the job that they've done in the transfer portal, you know, I think back to when I first started covering Miami basketball uh, 15, 20 years ago uh, with, with Jack McClinton, he was sort of the first big time transfer. I think in the modern era, when you started having kids do that regularly in basketball before it became a big deal in football. Um, and ever since then they've, they've done a great job just picking off kids from other teams um, bringing them in here, but, uh, you know, testament also to, to Larinaga's recruiting, getting a guy like Isaiah Wong and turning him into the ACC player of the year. Uh, so it's a, it's a mix of it. Uh, but look, after their elite eight run, I think a lot of people were like, Hmm, they, they lost some guys and see, see if they can make it back there. And, uh, they have a great team. I mean, they, they won, uh, what, 24, 25 games are going into the ACC tournament as the number one seed, uh, testament to the job Larinaga's done in his time here. I think what what's happened is that college basketball has come back to Jim Laranega's world because Jim Laranega's world development, right? Right, right. He's never been the McDonald's All American guy all the way back to George Mason, right? So he always had to have guys who were pretty good, but not NBA, but good at the college level, but with a lot of experience, three, four years, like the Shane Larkin teams, where Larkin was the only young guy that actually had NBA skills. Right. And the other guys were just older veterans that, at best, they were probably going to play overseas or something like that. But they were really good college players because they were in the, you know, their bodies had developed, their minds have developed. They've been in the, you know, three, four years. And then here we got again. Now, here's basketball where McDonald's All-Americans are gone. Very few of them are left now. Most of them go to a G League or overseas because they go get the money right away. 
right? And so now you've got less stars in the league. So now this is why the North Carolinas and the Dukes and the Kentuckys, they're not the powerhouses that they were before because they're not right. loading up on McDonald's All-Americans. Now you've got to play the game that Jim Laranega has been playing for 40 years. Correct. So to me, that's kind of what's happened now. Everybody's at Jim Laranega's level, and Jim already was competing with everybody at elite levels while he was here at this level. Now you're at his level? Oh, dude, he's eating your lunch. Yeah, great <laughs> great, great point, though. It really is. And, uh, you know, I – I, I just think NIL is really when you when you think about the impact for college basketball, it's saving maybe the sport. You know, a lot of these guys, like you said, they'll take the money overseas. They'll they'll leave early because they think that's the right decision. Hopefully, more and more of these guys decide to come back to school and finish their college careers and realize, hey, look, it's probably a long shot. I'm going to make it in the NBA, right? Like this is this is probably my time to shine and enjoy you know, my career at, at a high point, you know, uh, and, and I think more guys hopefully make those decisions instead of rushing to go pro and NIL helps in that. It helps keep some of these guys around and gives them a little bit of money in their pocket uh, and lets them sort of uh, fully develop instead of rushing to what, to, uh, to the way they used to be where so many guys and think about it. How many, how many guys came in, played one year of college ball and we never heard from them again, Yeah, you know? I mean, there's so many guys, and, and and you, oh look, he's in Spain. Oh look, he's in France. Or, but you you never hear of the guy again. I think I think you know what what Miami's done this year is sort of a good example. And Isaiah Wong, you know, where where is he going to be in two or three years? Is he really going to be in the NBA? Uh, this is his time to shine. Being the ACC player there, that's something they'll never take from you. You know, this experience, and and I think I think sometimes kids have to value that a little bit more than the quick money, and and hopefully NIO helps balance that again. Any uh, recruiting news on the on the football side? You know, no no commitments yet. Uh, a lot of visitors. I think really, you know, the kids that they really want. I know the junior day was this past weekend, and, and I talked to a bunch of them while I was here, uh, especially some West Coast kids. Um, it, it's really about the one-on-one time that you get. So junior day was hundreds of kids that were here. I think it's more when, when, when the kids come in and they get their private tour, we might see some of these commitments happening after that. But I'm more of a expected in April, May, June kind of guy when when kids are done taking all you know all of their unofficial visits and they start locking in official visits. I think that's when we'll we'll see uh, we'll see some of this stuff progress. All right, good stuff. Follow him on Twitter at Manny underscore Navarro. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletics. You can get a lot of great insight, all kinds of great stories. He's traveling around the country, keeping up with a lot of this recruiting stuff nationally. So get on there and subscribe at The Athletic and follow Manny. Manny, as always, thank you, my brother. We'll catch up later in the week, my friend. All right, oh, good talking to you, brother. Take care. You got it. We'll be at Canesware on Friday at 10 a.m. Sean and myself will be out there, 2511 South University Drive in Davie. And wait till you see what a surprise I have on Friday over there. But anyway, um, Make sure you uh, get out there, and they got anything and everything with the Canes logo on it. If you can't go to Davie, maybe you live out of town, maybe you live in Hope Sound or in the Keys, you can go online at canesware.com. They've got anything and everything practically with a Canes logo on it. They've got Heat, Marlins, Panthers, Inter-Miami, uh, what else? Uh, Marlins gear, all kinds of stuff. 
And guess what? You can order it. And if you order over $99, which will be really easy because you're going to want to buy this and that and this and that and that. And before you know it, you're going to have like 25 items. Uh, you'll get free shipping over $99. So check it out at caneswear.com. All right. Good stuff as always. This podcast replay is brought to you by Caneswear.com. For all your Canes, Dolphins, and Heat needs, visit them at 2511 South University Drive in Davie. Free shipping with online orders over $99. Go to Caneswear.com at Miami Fanware. That's the spot where South Florida fans shop. There he is, locked and loaded and ready to go. Good morning, my man. How are you doing, sir? Good morning, Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. Wasn't Konstantin Popa a very good security guard, I was told? <laughs> he sure was. Uh, I don't know what else uh, Konstantin Popa did uh, in terms of his basketball career after Miami. Did he play, did he play overseas somewhere? Yeah, I, mean, I think he did seven, a little bit of overseas stuff, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, seven-foot guy. told me he was a security guard. I don't know. <laughs> He, he probably was. I'm not sure. That's a good story, though. That'd be an amazing uh, sight, right? You're trying to break into a place, and you got a seven foot. Uh, what is he? Seven foot four? How tall? Yeah, I think was he? he was seven four. Yeah, yeah. yeah security he, guard uh, staring at you. That'd be uh, a little intimidating. Constantine Popa. Wow. <laughs> I was back in the Miami Arena days, bro. Yeah. Back okay. uh, back when, uh, you, you know, you, you were just excited to be a part of the Big East, right? And just to yes. be. Uh... Yeah. And but let me tell you something. We had a couple of those games where Leonard Leonard's teams were really good. And we had like, I don't know, 11, 12, 13,000 mm-hmm. at, at Miami Arena. There were a couple of those games. I remember there was a, I want to say a Boston College game. There UConn. was. A lot of UConn games were, were well attended. Yeah, man. There were, there were a couple that in those years. Right before he left to the Washington uh, Bullets, then right, I think it was the Bullets. Then Still. they might have they might have switched to Wizards by then. I think he might was have there. been Wizards then already. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. the Wizards took him away, which I, uh, you know, uh, that was Michael Jordan, right? Wasn't it uh, Michael's yep. team? Yeah, that was right after Michael retired. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah, they took him away from us. And uh, but leading up to that, I remember we had a couple of those games that they moved them from the Knight Center. Because that's where they used to play. Yep. Because they got so popular, they put them over in the Miami Arena, and we were all amazed that the University <laughs> of Miami basketball team was packing it in at the Miami Arena. Man, I, I still remember that. That was pretty good, man. That was that was. I don't think the young the youngins may not know about that. Like, you, no. really, twelve, thirteen thousand went to a UM game once. Yeah, man, they actually yeah. did back in the day. They were pretty good. Yeah, hey, man. What, our town is the best at getting on bandwagons. I mean, oh man, we are the bandwagon capital of uh, of America, really, right? Right. We, we still probably own uh, World Series attendance records because we were in a football stadium, yeah, and we were packing it in for uh, for the boys in '97. So I'm sure we have, you know, uh, attendance records. I don't know what they are for the World Series. Why don't you look that up there, Sean? Attendance records for the World Series. Where do the Marlins rank? In single game attendance, I would have to think, did the did the Rockies make it to the World Series at all with those teams when they were in the base when they were in the football stadium? You remember early early on? I I don't. One, not, I don't they didn't make so, the World right? Series early on. No, no right? I don't remember them getting it early on. No, their their first yeah. World Series I remember was against the Red Sox, and I think that was like two thousand four, and they were already in in, in uh, yeah. Coors Field. So yeah, the Galarraga. Uh, uh, 
Um, Dante, they made the playoffs. Dante the playoffs Comrie, the Suzanne Plachette teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they they I don't yeah I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I still remember that Galarraga home run he hit here. Oh yeah, oh second yeah. Deck, second oh. deck. I was there that day. Me oh, too. I, I was there the uh, the day of the championship parade. I, I my brother and I. Uh, Got there early as hell. We got in the stadium fast. And you talk about the stadium being packed for a, a championship celebration. I never would have imagined 80,000 people being in a, you know, in Miami for baseball, loving baseball that way. And a lot of older men felt like pedophiles. She's only 16. <laughs> Every time they played that video of everybody's doing the fish. Yes, exactly. And that, and that young girl had the big jugs. And everybody was going crazy over that video. And then later on, everybody finds out she's only 16. And you're like, oh, man, all these men had terrible <laughs> thoughts in their minds every time they were doing the fish. <laughs> Hilarious, dude. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Let's get to it. Uh, spring. Spring has sprung. What did you see in the game? Give me some Give me some. Some positives. Well, I mean, look, they just uh, wrapped up their first uh, week of practice. They're actually going on uh, spring break because spring break is next week for uh, for the University of Miami students. Uh, for my house, my daughters, their spring break is until two weeks from now. So, uh, but they're they're getting off next week and they'll be gone. Uh, no practices. They'll resume, I think, on the twenty first uh, of March is when they'll get back to it. But the first three days are in the books. They finally got into uh, pads yesterday uh, a little bit. Um, you know. The, the headline really was that the true freshman Francis Maui Goa uh, got in with the first team at right tackle um, in the third practice. So everybody's all excited about that. Uh, I don't want to pee on anybody's parade, but I'm just going to say this. There's a lot of guys out this spring, and that's what I'm going to remind people with all of this stuff is don't worry about the depth chart so much. Uh, worry more about when, when guys are back in the fall, what, what this is really going to look like. And I'm not saying Maui Goa couldn't crack the starting lineup. In fact, I think he will. I don't know that he'll be necessarily a day one starter at Miami, but he could be a, a day three, day day four starter for them. So uh, super talented lineman. I think him and Samson Okunlola, the, the two five stars, are going to make a huge impact here. They're both super athletic, uh, unlike other offensive linemen on this team. And so, uh, you know, that's it, man. I mean, it's I, I know we get excited because football's back for the spring, but it's like there's no games to prepare for. <laughs> there's no. It's just whoever's healthy is out there sweating, learning the new yeah. offense, going through stuff. So uh, for me, as, as a guy who's done this 25 plus years, it's like, all right, there's not a whole lot of sex appeal for me to go out there other than to speak to the new coordinators, speak to the new assistant coaches, speak to the new faces, right? Go and introduce myself to those guys. Outside of that, it's kind of meaningless. No, I, I get it. It's true because really nothing that ever happens in the spring – that even people get excited about really rolls over into the regular season anyway. And, it, and, and really it's hard to measure, you know, what's re- you're, and plus you're installing a new offense now right? and all of this. So yeah, it's it, 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 until we actually see them on the field competing, then we'll get a feel for how much this team has grown from last year. Because if there's one thing that Cristobal has to do, he has to develop a much, him and his staff have to develop, a much better team this year that's more effective, that is uh, more mature, that is, you know, more consistent out there. To me, that's the other thing that I'm going to measure is how, how, how well are these guys playing? How few mistakes are they making? You know, that kind of stuff. I want to see how much have the coaches also prepared their players to succeed. 
Yeah, and, and, and setting up a culture, right, and expectation internally for, for the way that they want to play. And I, I think, you know, we got a chance to talk to the coordinators on Tuesday after I had come on your show. Oh, um, you know, we, we kind of moved it up earlier in the day so that we could so that I could make sure I was there for their press conferences. But I, I really like the guys that he hired. I think, you know, uh, Shannon Dawson and, and Lance Gidry are both hungry coaches you know they're both guys that are I think really still looking to make a name for themselves even though they've been doing this for a long time this is the opportunity right come to a power five program and get a group to overachieve versus you know live up to uh, whatever exterior expectations there are I think I think you know they, they're used to coaching guys that aren't five stars and four stars and and coaching guys that that also want to be you know that are hungry and want to prove themselves so I think that mentality is sort of setting in. I think last year when you had Josh Gaddis uh, and you had Kevin Steele, you had guys that were just uh, had have been there, done that before, right? They've they've climbed to the mountaintop, they've been to the playoffs, they've played in important bowl games, coached uh, on championship teams, etc. So um, I think it's a different mindset um, with both of those guys, and I think that permeates into the locker room and permeates into uh, the mentality and practice. I'm with you there. 20 players now transferred, so that's uh, yeah. a nice turnover now for, for the Canes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the, the way college football is now. Oh, I mean, you're just going to see a lot of guys year to year to year. That's why this recruiting thing is so uh, complicated to figure out. You know, we, we for so many years, we would sit there and say, hmm, let's just look at the recruiting standings, right? Hmm, Miami's ranked 15th this year. They're ranked 12th this year. They should be good, right? They've got all this... Well, not anymore, man. Like it's it's really more about turnover year to year to year, free agency in college football, and can you pick up the kind of transfers that'll make up for your losses? Can you can you bring in guys that are upgrades over what you had the season before? And I think Mario has done that in a couple of spots. I think the offensive line is going to be much better with Javion Cohen and Matt Lee, uh, part of this offensive line. But I still think he could use a legitimate number one cornerback. I don't know that they have that on the roster. I still think they could use a guy at wide receiver who can take the top off. Uh, oh, yeah, number one wide receiver, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, look, Colby Young is super – physically, he's super impressive. I mean, he's 6'4", 213 pounds. You go back and you put the tape on of the Virginia Tech and the Duke games where he where he scored touchdowns and made big catches, and you're like, okay, wait a minute. This guy could be a number one. But the reality is, you know, you'd rather have a little bit more – uh, depth at that position than you do right now in terms of speed on the outside. You don't really have that. You have a lot of unproven guys who've gotten some opportunities and not come through and delivered. So uh, I don't know that they'll find that in the transfer portal, but I guess my overall point with all of this is uh, you're always looking and the methodology uh, methodology of, of what we're used to of building a roster in college football nowadays is just different. You don't just recruit a, br- a bunch of freshmen year to year to year and hold on to them and develop them. It's it's a constant process. And I think fans who, who casually tune in and don't watch college football and see how the uh, the donuts are made year to year, this is the way the game is now. So uh, I think Mario uh, did a good job. I still think he can get more help in the portal. All right. So talk to me uh, about uh, Mr. Gaddis in Maryland. Yeah, uh, ends up uh, really back with Mike Loxley, who he's with at Alabama. Um, you know, Maryland's one of those interesting programs. Obviously, they've got Tua's younger brother there playing quarterback for him. Um, you know, they're in a they also have a really ugly ass helmet. 
yes, right, they, they, I'm, they, I'm sorry. They, I'm sorry. As I digress, I'm sorry. They, they, they've got one of the ugliest sets of uniforms I've ever seen. In all honesty, I completely agree with you. Oh, <laughs> it's pretty bad. They got so uh, much shit going on on that helmet. <laughs> it's like, what it the is, hell is that, dude? <laughs> what is wrong with you it, people? It, it really is uh, embarrassing. But uh, look, it's a first start for him. Uh, you know, he wasn't a fit at Miami uh, from a culture, from a uh, just you know getting the players in the wide receiver room to play for him. I think the moment he got that job and he got down here and he realized, hey, this isn't – I don't I don't have the same type of players I had at Michigan. I don't have the same type of lineman. I don't have uh, a Blake Corum in the backfield. I don't have a uh, standout receiver. I think he sort of started whimpering to himself like, oh, I got to get out of here quickly. And I think he coached that way. I think he, he coached as a guy who wasn't necessarily happy, and I think it rubbed off uh, in, in, in the room. And, and so now he gets a fresh start at Maryland. He'll get a chance to – uh, find his footing in the Big Ten, where I think he did have some success, obviously, with Michigan. He might be better suited for that kind of football anyway. And uh, so hopefully for him, it works out. I don't I don't think Josh Gaddis is a bad guy. I just think he was a bad fit for Miami. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know what kind of guy he is. He might be a, a fantastic dude. I just I thought he did a piss poor job of adjusting to the talent that he had and kind of forced a square peg in a round hole. I didn't see. I didn't see creativity from a coach. And, you know, that's what you're going to have. You know, you're going to go through seasons where you don't have this. You know, look at Eric Spolstra. Okay, so you're giving me Whiteside and Deion Waiters and Tyler John. Okay, well, I'll try to make the best out of whatever I – and he does. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Bosh is in and out of the lineup with a blood clot, and then he's got to change the, the, the offense, and he adjusts. And if he has the big three or if he has – you know, Jimmy Butler and company, the guy adjusts to whatever roster he has, and then he plays accordingly. And that was my problem with Josh Gaddis, that I get it, dude. You want to run your power your power offense? It reminded me a lot of Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, He comes to the Dolphins, and then he tries to run the Dallas offense, but he doesn't have the Dallas line or the Dallas running back. Right. And it's like, yo, dude, you, you know, you got to go back and give Marino all the audibles. You can't give Marino a check with me system. What the hell is wrong with you, dude? Yeah, it can't well, be just either a run or a pass, and that's it. And that's all you're going to give Marino options. The run part of it is weak in your end because you don't have, you know, uh, Nate Newton and company at the line, and you don't have Emmett Smith, you know, back there. And it was a terrible job as of a head coach adjusting to the offense that he inherited. And to me, Gaddis and, and and Jimmy taking over for the Dolphins, there were a lot of similarities in the, you know, terrible coaching side of it. Well, I, yeah, I mean, look, it, sometimes guys are just not a good fit. And that's and that's why sometimes when we when we see these postseason awards, right, for assistant coaches like the Royals Award winner, sometimes it's more of a product of their system and their and their overall team success, not so much that they're excellent play callers or, or adjusters. You know, the, the Eric Spolsters of the world, I think, are few and far between. You know, I think that that should only make uh, Miami fans. Uh, appreciate a guy like Spolstra more that he could adapt his teams to whatever personnel he has. And ultimately the best coaches do that. Um, but I think in this, in this case, I'm not letting Mario Cristobal off the hook. You know, he came in here with his own vision. Right. He hired Gattis for a reason. You're right. uh, and, and he thought he could run the offense. Now I will give Mario credit for this. He pulled the plug as soon as it was over. Right. Uh, we've seen right. a lot of other guys come in here as head coaches and be idiots about things and just say, oh, I'm sticking with this guy, and that's it. And and so, look, 
it was year one. They weren't going to win more than seven games or eight games with that roster last year, even when they were fully healthy. They just there there's still too many talent holes. There's still too many culture issues uh, on this roster to to win big. So um, it was a rough year. You kind of have to leave it where it is. And now a guy like Josh Gaddis and a guy like Mario Cristobal can move on, hopefully with uh, better systems and better people around them to help them have success. Yeah, yeah. No, I just needed to see more. Look, I see it from Larinaga. He adjusts to all his teams, mm-hmm. no matter what he has. Uh, obviously, I saw Shula do it for a long time. You know, the good coaches. Hey, Phil Neville, you know, I follow all sports. Yeah. He adjusted with the whole Higuain thing. He benched his ass and got, got his attention and then got him to play the way he needed him to play and lost a little weight and had a hell of a season, you know, last year. And now he's got a new team and a different team. And, and the guy continues to adjust to me. That's that's how a coach shows me that they know what the hell they're doing because you're not going to have the same talent every. Even though you might be building this kind of an offense, this kind of a defense, somehow or another one year injuries, this that changes, you, you know what you are, and then you have to adjust to what you are, and that's going to happen to coaches. And to, for Gaddis. It was just, you know, one of those things that I didn't like. Now, one thing I do like that I saw, Jarrett Payton just tweeted out uh, that um, uh, Alonzo Highsmith reached out to him, and apparently he's reaching out to all the former Canes to kind of roll into former Canes to tell him that the University of Miami is here with open arms and ready to go. And there's Jared Payne. He says, just got a wonderful morning call from the great Alonzo Highsmith. He's calling all former Canes football players, said the door at the U is always open for us. Love it and thank you, Coach Cristobal. We're getting things back on track. So your thoughts on on that reaction from Jared and and maybe the, the rest of the Canes uh, world, how are they going to be reacting to something like this now? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, certainly all the former players want to see Mario get this right. I think, you know, you speak to a lot of these guys off the record and individually, and they're all super disappointed with the way things have sort of transpired. Uh, But they're also excited by the fact that the university is pumping money back into this thing in ways it never had before. The fact that they're allowing Mario to, uh, you know, pay guys to go away and to bring new guys in. Uh, So there's a lot more excitement, I think, around the program. Look, the alumni is always going to be supportive, uh, you know, and, and stop by practices and come by and visit and, and talk to kids uh, when they're asked to talk to kids. They do that. Uh, I think, you know, the one thing Miami has always had is a strong alumni support system. Uh, the, the issue here is getting these guys to do it consistently and show up all the time. There's a few of them that do. You know, you see the John Beesons of the world. Um, you know, you see the Jonathan Vilmas, the guys that, that, that are, are by the building quite frequently and around the kids and talking to the kids. Um, you know, a lot of them come back for the Paradise Camp or what used to be known as the Paradise Camp in the in the summertime and, and, and you know, in the spring football time. Uh, so you, you'll see um, you'll see guys pop by. But in the long run, man, they, they want to see this thing turn around quickly. And, and they're tired of the losing. They're tired of the, the mediocrity. And um Hopefully, you know, Mario gives him something to to grab onto this year. I, I think eight and four, man, that's the number. I think that's the magic number. If you can get to eight wins this year with this group, 
Um, I think a lot of positive things come out of that. Uh, I think anything less than that, people are still going to be saying, man, this is the same, this is the same deal. So, but I think that the former players will be there and it's good that Alonzo Highsmith and others are, are trying to make this a public thing where, um, you know, they're speaking it into existence. Uh, Walt Dog obviously doesn't pay attention. Uh, Walt Dog, you'll be close to getting uh, blocked here. I'm going to ask your fucking question. Don't be spamming on the chat board. Ask once and leave it there. If I want to ask, I'll ask. If I don't want to ask, I don't ask. But if you keep spamming, I'm going to block your ass and you won't have a shot at getting in on the show anymore. Big O, please ask. Walden Charles, wide receiver for 2025. Why? 2023, 2020, 2030 wasn't uh, close enough for you? Anyway, he was at Miami yesterday. What does Manny know about him? FSU offered him a, a scholarship this week. He's on the way to LSU. Deion Sanders wants him to come to Colorado next month. Okay, Manny, please help Walt Dog. He's having a heart attack, a grown man about some kid in 2025. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I, I get it. I just came from two uh, combine slash camps uh, that Under Armour put on last week uh, over at Bradenton IMG Academy and, and then uh, over in Orlando on Sunday. So I've been around a lot of 2024, 2025, and 2026 guys. I also have communication with people at Miami about who they're looking at. Uh, look, the concentration right now, we're, we are – 10 months away from signing day for the 2024 class. The 2025s, I'm not trying to dismiss them and say it doesn't matter, but there's so much time, man. There's so much time for these guys to go on unofficial visits all over the country. It's what they do. Uh, is this is this a kid that they're interested in? Absolutely. I think, you know, size-wise, he fits what Mario wants. I think he's the kind of player um that the kind of prospect that you want to watch develop here over the next year obviously they're not the only program interested in him but um right now i think the priority again are the 2024 guys getting some important commitments here in the in the months ahead uh the 2025 guys you just want to develop a good relationship with and i think you know the one thing i will say oh and i know miami fans aren't going to like this but I think Florida State has done a really good job in the last year with Alex Atkins, their offensive coordinator, who I, who I think will be a head coach down the road. I think Florida State has done a really, really good job um, setting themselves up for the recruiting trail. Obviously, winning 10 games helps, but I think those coaches have done a really good job in-state with in-state prospects. I think Miami is always looking more nationwide now for players under Mario because of his connections all over the place. So um, I think, uh, you know, I'm sure this kid is, is is a player we'll get to watch. We got a long time from now until December uh, 2024 to find out where he's going to school. Okay. All right. There you go. You got your answer. Okay. It's like, by the way, just because you and I talk about this all the time, Manny, those of you out there that worry about recruits, recruits don't mean shit, dude, because the kid might be unhappy six months later and then he transfers out. This happens all the time. Recruits don't mean anything. It means a year after you sign them, are they still there on, on, your, on your program? Then you have scored. Even getting somebody to commit to you doesn't mean anything whatsoever. Getting them to come to your building and, and, and start their, their, their you know, freshman year means nothing. It's a year later when you find out, are they still on the damn roster and do they actually have a role? Because well, if these kids don't have a role, they're going to leave right away. 
not not to defend Walt here, but I'm sure there's there's a reason why he's interested. He probably knows this kid could be a family member, and he's he's just excited. Oh, he 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 wants the kid to be at Miami, and he wants to make sure the coaching staff is on top of him. And I'll say this, you know, Mario doesn't even sleep. Mario's always, always on it. And if they really want the kid to be here, they're on it. I, I don't get the sense that this is the kind of coaching staff where they, they were late to the party on getting kids on campus. I was there. We for- have a psycho recruiter running I- this program. <laughs> we have a psycho recruiter. Yes. Walt, relax, bro. We have a guy that if he doesn't want to come here, it's not because Mario Cristobal wasn't trying, dude. Yes. Okay. Yes. And they, I was there for junior day. I saw a lot of kids come through there. Oh, all of them, you know, the, the moment they're greeted by an entire recruiting staff, the moment they get there and they get their little name tag and they walk in the building. I mean, I was there for two hours watching it happen on Saturday. Uh, There's so many people in Miami's recruiting department that have an influence. Uh, I, I don't think people get ignored by Miami. That doesn't happen anymore. Mario Mario, he, sa- he says he is a family member. There you go. There you go. So Shit, he's just excited. Give, well, you should give us freaking insight, not <laughs> us give you insight. What the hell, dude? If you're a family member, what? The, come on, spill the beans, bro. <laughs> Listen, uh, I, I will say this. Oh, uh, he, I saw in one of I saw. I looked at the text now. He mentioned Colorado, and you mentioned Colorado. Um, no, I, I just read what he said. I have yeah, no idea. Yeah. Uh, Dion, man, there's so many kids like you don't understand. Oh, there's so many kids that, are, that just love Dion. We uh, we we had our uh, athletic. Um, we did. We ranked the top 69 or well, all 69 power five teams based on recruiting potential. And I know people think I'm batshit crazy for saying this, but I actually put Colorado fourth behind Ohio State. Uh, get Georgia and Alabama because he's the kind of guy who could steal five-star players from just about anybody in the country. I think those are the only three brands that are stronger than Dion right now. And, and by so, the way, I'll say I'll say the kind of shit that people won't be willing to say. Yeah. What he did at Jackson State, that makes you even bigger in the black community all over this country. Because yeah. you went you went somewhere selflessly. Yeah, of course to establish your name, but you lifted a black college in the process, right? You gave them, you gave them a bigger stage for, for a short amount of time. You made their lives better. And you know, you gave that program a little bit of a springboard that whoever takes over now, it's a slightly easier job than it was before Deion Sanders got there. So that wins a lot of brownie points out there for a lot of parents. And so, and a lot of kids see that, that he is fighting for their community. And, I, and that's really, really important. And so I think Dion wins over a lot of people and a lot of young people in today's world, you know what I mean, because of what he did at Jackson State. I, th- I think that he gets a lot of goodwill with all of that, I believe, personally. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, the other aspect is a lot of these kids like a Cormani McLean, who we talked about ad nauseum for months, right? Oh, right. And I on this show, uh, he, he's a guy who loves being on TV, right? He's got a, a mother who wants him on TV. So there's not a lot of coaches nowadays sort of, uh, trying to set up TV deals, right? To have Amazon Prime do a behind-the-scenes documentary. They don't want anybody around their players. They're trying to keep the media and everybody else away from them, whereas Dion is in this NIL world pushing every button he's got to push to get players to come play for him, and I think that's what makes him attractive. That's what makes him a dangerous threat. 
if if he has any level of success over Colorado where they win six, seven, eight, nine games oh, wow, yeah. in the next couple of years, I mean, can you imagine Dion at a Texas A&M, for instance, what he oh. would do there replacing a Jimbo Fisher? Right. Could, you, could you imagine him if, if Mike Norvell moves on or Florida State decides, hey, we, it's time to bring this guy home and make him our coach? What, what he would do at a university where – they're located geographically located where there's an abundance of talent. Put him in Texas or Florida or, or Georgia, Georgia, and and Deion Sanders would absolutely explode. And even saying oh, that, oh, by the way, California. I mean, he is hot. Yeah. He is prime time. Yeah. So put put him in UCLA or right. USC or something like that. Yeah. Put him in a place like that, and I think he would really explode. And and really, I think uh, I think that's the next step for him. And and uh, look, Colorado, the Pac-12, they're they're losing USC and UCLA. Uh, if, if the Pac-12 stays together as is, uh, there's no uh, there's no problem why this why uh, you know the Buffaloes couldn't all of a sudden you know climb to the top of that conference with just Oregon and Utah there. I think they're they're in a very uh, they're in a very good position in the West Coast to thrive. What are you working on in the athletics so folks can check you out, Manny? Well, uh, look, there's a, there's a ton of content coming. I, I've, I've got a feature story on Julian Sain, who's the uh, Alabama quarterback commitment for the 2024 class. I'm going to have something on Francis Maui Goa, uh, who, who we talked about earlier with the Hurricanes. I've got a bunch of recruiting geography stuff. Um, that's going to be coming out the week I'm on vacation. I'm, I'll be working next week, oh, but then the, uh, the week that Miami comes back, that's my children's uh, – spring break and i'm taking them on vacation so so um you know i want augustine again no 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 we're taking we're, okay all right, all right. My, my oldest is turning 12 uh, she's been they, wanting they, to go to universal they, they personally told me they're tired of st augustine so i'm just <laughs> they, they are no, you know they, that's, where the, enough, that's where the grandparents are the of youth because they're already youths <laughs> they don't need any more youths water okay so <laughs> you know you, you got to take them somewhere else they they told me all right come you, on Universal Studios, oh, uh, that there two, we go. That uh, four-day uh, pass that they got going now—that's what we're doing. So uh, we'll, there be, you go. we'll be there uh, riding a bunch of rides and sweating our asses off in the heat, but uh, it'll be fun. It's all right. You'll be all liquored up. Nobody will notice. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at Manny underscore Navarro and catch his exceptional work there at the Athletic. Better yet, subscribe like I do. Manny, have a great weekend, my friend. I appreciate you. All right, brother. Take care, man. Thank you, sir. There you go. Manny Navarro. We are here at Canesware. This is the Canesware Miami Hurricanes Report. We are at Canesware. You know, they've got anything and everything with the Canes logo on it. Inter-Miami gear. we got a big Inter-Miami game tomorrow. You want to cheer on your Canes? Maybe you want to buy a shirt or something like that, a jersey, hat, something out here. They've got them for you. Dolphins gear, Marlins gear, Panthers gear, Miami Heat gear. All kinds of stuff here at 2511 South University Drive in Davie. Come see Brett. Come see uh, Jeff. All the amazing people out here at Canesware. And tell them that Big O sent you. They will take care of you at Canesware, baby.